Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the name of our triune God, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, imagine for a moment that you are in a great and desolate desert. The merciless sun is beating down upon you. As far as you can see, there is only a rolling sea of sand. Now imagine in that situation how obsessed with the concept of thirst you would become. How just about every thought you had would be about water as you thought about the dry sand, that dry feeling in your mouth as your tongue sticks to the roof of your mouth. All you would be thinking about is water. Now imagine in the midst of this desert there is a traveler who has unfortunately run out of water. He is going to die. But there on the horizon, he sees a glimmer. And as he makes his way there, he finds an old abandoned town. And in the midst of that town, there is an old-fashioned well pump. Hope springs to life in his mind. He goes, he starts working the handle of that pump, but nothing comes out. (coughs) As he's looking around, he sees next to the well pump, a small handwritten sign, and next to it, a small cup with a piece of foil over the top of it. The sign says, Dear Traveler, there is water in this cup, but don't drink it. Instead, use it to prime the pump, and you will be rewarded with a great amount of water, more than you could possibly drink. Now, what would you do in that situation? Would you be able to resist the temptation to drink the water in that cup because, after all, it would satisfy your thirst? Or do you delay gratification? Do you trust that sign? Do you use the cup to prime that pump, hoping that you will be rewarded? I tell you this story because this is a picture of so often what temptation is like in our lives. We want to give in to that instant gratification that sin offers. But just like that cup of water may momentarily quench our thirst, it's not enough to keep us alive. It will only lead us to death. The same is true with temptation in our lives. While sin may make us momentarily happy, it ultimately only leads to our death and destruction. Now, we face temptation every day of our lives. We are under a constant attack and assault by Satan, the world, and our own sinful flesh. Often, we can feel overwhelmed and exhausted by this constant struggle. We may at times feel like it's not worth fighting the fight because we are just going to fail again and again. In those dark moments of despair, dear friends, I encourage you not to look at your own selves, at your own struggle, but instead to look to the struggle of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who understood what it was like to go through that struggle, who was tempted, the scripture says, in every way that we are and yet was without sin. Jesus faced a very real trial and temptation in the wilderness as he battled against Satan. He was fiercely assaulted. He was hard-pressed on every side. But unlike us, Jesus was able to resist the attacks of Satan 
he was able to remain completely obedient to the will of the Father and live a perfect life. And because of his obedience, Christ has given us victory over the tempter. Now, three of the gospel writers give us an account of the temptation of Christ in the desert. Mark, which we heard this morning, is the shortest of the three accounts, but Mark gives us some important details. He underlines and emphasizes the fact that Jesus was all by himself. He was completely alone and isolated during this assault of Satan. And that while we often think of the three temptations of Jesus, Mark tells us that during that entire 40-day time, Satan was tempting Jesus and attacking him relentlessly. Now, Matthew and Luke provide the additional details of those three specific temptations of Christ. That Satan tempted Jesus, who had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, to turn bread, those, that stone, the stones of the desert, into bread. Then Jesus took him up to the highest point of the temple and told him to throw himself down because if God was truly going to be faithful, God would not allow him to be hurt. And then that third temptation where Satan took Jesus up onto a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, if you bow down and worship me, I will give all of this to you. Now Christ resisted the attacks of Satan. Christ did not give in to them. Christ was perfect and sinless and refuted Satan's attack with God's word. Now it's interesting to note that Satan attacked Jesus in that moment of weakness. When he was all alone and isolated, when he had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, when he was physically worn down and exhausted, that is when Satan attacked. And just think about how true that is in our own lives. How Satan often attacks us when we are at our weakest. Where Satan knows exactly where our weaknesses are. And that's where he relentlessly attacks us to get us to stumble and fall. Unlike Jesus, we don't have to simply just resist the attacks of Satan. We also have our own sinful natures that are constantly warring against us. Jesus was true God and true man. As true God, he was able to do what we could not. He could perfectly withstand the attacks and assaults of Satan. As weak flawed sinners, we know how often we fail in our resistance, how often we give in to those temptations of Satan and fall into sin. And Satan is a cunning enemy. Satan knows how to get us to mistrust God's word. Satan knows how to twist the very word of God to lead us into temptation. Just think of how he attacked Jesus in the desert with that first temptation. That Jesus, not having eaten anything for 40 days and 40 nights, what does Satan come and say? He says, use your divine power. Turn these stones into bread. What was the temptation? Satan wanted Jesus to doubt the faithfulness of God. Satan wanted Jesus to doubt the promise of God. Think of how he does that in our own lives how we pray in the Lord's Prayer to 
that God give us our daily bread, and yet how often do we find ourselves not actually believing and trusting that promise of God? Do we believe that it is God who is going to be the one who provides for our daily needs, or do we instead look to ourselves, to our own strength to provide for us, to make sure that we have what we need and well, sure, we'll, we'll ask God, but we don't really trust his promise to be faithful. Or how about we know that we should give from the first fruits of the gifts that we have been given, whether that is our wealth or our time or our talents, and yet we so often think, well, if I give that to church, I might not have enough left over. We don't give to God because we don't trust that God is going to continue providing for us as we need. Satan wants us to doubt God's promises. When we face times of trial and hardship in our life, when we may go through a period of suffering, Satan wants us to believe that God is doing this to us because he is not faithful, or even worse, maybe it's because God is angry with us and is seeking to punish us for our sins. This is where Satan wants us. He wants us to believe his lies. He wants us to doubt God's love and mercy in our lives so that we grow bitter to God, so we turn away and reject his love. Satan is a cunning adversary. But as a cunning adversary, he really only has a limited bag of tricks. Think of that third temptation he used against Christ where he took him up on the mountain and said, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world if you simply bow down and worship me. We've heard that same lie from Satan. That was the same lie he gave to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when he tempted them to sin. Satan wants us to believe that he is our friend, that God is the enemy, that God has something great and wonderful and he's holding it back and not giving it to us. But Satan, Satan will give to us that which will truly make us happy. Just think of how we see that in so many of the different temptations in our lives and in the temptations the world offers to us how it often we are promised happiness by giving into things that we know are bad for us, how the world promises that greed or sexual promiscuity or drugs or alcohol, all of these things will bring us happiness. And how true we know that is, that those things may bring us momentarily, momentary happiness, but it's not a happiness that lasts. It's like greedily drinking that cup of water in the desert and then realizing there is nothing else. That's all there is, and now there is only death that remains. This is the lie of temptation. Satan promises a quick and easy path to happiness, but that's not what he actually wants to give us. Satan is not our friend. Satan is our great enemy. He doesn't want us to be happy. Instead, what he wants to do is to lead us away from God and into the torment and sorrow and pain and eternal death that has been prepared for him and all of the other fallen angels. Dear friends, on our own, 
we cannot battle our great enemy, Satan. We often give in to temptation and sin against our Heavenly Father. We needed a perfect substitute who could do what we could not, who could perfectly resist the attacks of Satan and keep God's law in our place. And that, dear friends, is who we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Christ was perfectly obedient to the will of the Father. As true man, he, know, he knew what it was to, be suff- to suffer and to be tempted, but as true God, he remained sinless. Hebrews 2.18 tells us, Indeed, because he suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now we may think that because Jesus was true God, because he could not sin, that this ordeal in the desert wasn't all that big of a deal. But that's not true. This was a very real attack that Christ resisted. Think of it this way if it helps you of a runner who is a trained athlete who is going to run a race. Now there's no doubt in his mind that he is going to finish that race But still, at the end, he is worn out and exhausted from the effort. So it was with Christ in the desert facing the attacks of Satan. This was a real attack that he endured for our sake. Now, the temptation of Christ in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry was preparation for the great ordeal of temptations he would go through at the end of his ministry. Throughout his entire life, Christ actively resisted the temptations of Satan. And just think of that, that Jesus went through his entire life being tempted, but never once did he give in to that temptation to sin. He remained perfect his entire life. His will was perfectly in line with the will of the Father in heaven. And just think of what that meant for our Savior. Jesus knew what was waiting for him. Toward the end of his ministry, he willingly set off and went to Jerusalem knowing that there waited for him pain and suffering and torture and ultimately death. And yet he went willingly because that was the will of God the Father. Think how Jesus was obedient in the face of suffering. How he was obedient when his closest friends abandoned him denied that they even knew him, and some even betrayed him over to his enemies. He remained faithful even though they had all forsaken him. How Christ remained obedient even when he was humiliated, flogged, tortured, and ultimately nailed to the cross for us. And as Christ suffered on the cross, he faced the same kind of temptation we hear about earlier in his ministry. Jesus could have used, in the same way he could have used his divine power to turn stones into bread, he could have used that same power to get down from the cross. Think of how true the mocking insult was that they shouted at him, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. If he's the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. Christ could have done that. But instead, Christ remained obedient to the will of the Father. And Christ, out of his great love for us, stayed on the cross so that he could take all of our sins upon himself. 
so that he can endure the punishment for sin and the torments of hell that our sins deserved. And all of this he did because he loved us and wanted to save us. This is the joy, dear friends, that we have in the gospel of our Lord. That even though we fall into temptation and sin every day of our lives, Christ loved each and every one of us so much that he willingly endured the torments of the cross and hell for us. He was obedient so that we could become children of God. You see, by his death, Jesus destroyed the power of Satan. He removed his power to accuse us of our sin every, any longer. So often we think of our sins, we remember our guilt and our shame. We can be weighed down by that heavy burden. And Satan wants to focus on our sins, to think that they can't be forgiven. But because Christ defeated Satan, he can no longer bring an accusation against us. As the Apostle Paul writes, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? By his death, Christ defeated the power of Satan. By his resurrection, he declared complete and total victory over the power of sin, death, and hell. He removed the sting of death. He removed the sting of that ultimate consequence for sin so that those who believe in Jesus' name do not need to fear death any longer knowing that the reward of eternal life is ours through faith in Christ. Our victory has been won. As Martin Luther wrote, in a mighty fortress is our God. Our Savior holds the field forever. We do not need to fear the attacks of Satan because our Savior has overcome him. And Christ has given us the tools to resist the attacks of Satan that we find in the promises and truths of his word. Now that man in that desert town trusted the promise of that sign. He used the cup, he primed that pump, he pumped it and had an abundance of water. Dear friends, we too have also been given a promise through water. Through the living waters of our baptism, we have been born again. We have been given the strength, we have been reborn with a new man, and we are able to take our stand against the attacks of Satan. Now, we will fail in our lives because we still have that old sinful nature in us, but each day we struggle, drowning that old man, repenting of our sins, and turning to the cross and trusting the promises of God. We have confidence, knowing that our Savior has given us complete and total victory over the tempter. Amen.